Well, welcome to week two of a two of a four-part series on financial stewardship that we're calling God's Road to Financial Freedom. And we've called it that because most people are not experiencing freedom in their finances. And one of the main reasons for that is debt. Because when you're in debt, you are not free. As soon as any money comes your way, there are several hands that are eager to grab it before you. Some of you may be thinking now, oh, pastor, you have no idea how difficult it is to get out of bed on Sunday morning. And now I hear you're going to talk about debt. You're killing me. Well, I hope not. My hope and my prayer for this message is that we will experience freedom or greater freedom in our stewardship of God's resources. And that at the end, you'll find out that it was actually worth getting out of bed to be here. But why is this even necessary? Well, let's take a look at some statistics that uh, tell us a little bit about the financial condition of Americans. And in a little preview here, it's not a pretty picture. As of January 12, 2017, almost 6 in 10 Americans don't have enough savings to pay for a $500 car repair, according to a Bankrate.com report. And this is true of almost half of the high-income households earning $75,000 a year or more. Cannot pay for a $500 car repair. A major part of this reason is debt. The average American household with credit card debt pays nearly $1,300 in interest per year. Imagine what you can do with $1,300. The average amount owed by households with credit card debt is over $16,000. In addition to that, many have car loans, student loans, and mortgages. And if you can't afford a $500 car repair, chances are you're not saving much for your retirement either. And the statistics show that that's true too. In 2015, the average 65-year-old could expect to withdraw just over $8,000 from their retirement account per year. $8,000 per year. If they wanted their money to last throughout their retirement. Here's part of the reason why. Even before starting school, the likelihood of a child having a television in his or her bedroom is 25%. And their viewing time is just over two hours a day. The typical first grader can identify over 200 different brands. And he or she has already accumulated an unprecedented number of possessions, beginning with an average of 70 big or small toys every year. In cases where couples divorce within the first seven years, 90% say that money was the main reason. Money was the main reason why a man and a woman who have committed themselves for life eventually divorce. And so many of us are in trouble, big trouble. When reading Jesus' words to store up your treasure in heaven, you think, I don't have anything to store. The cupboards are empty. There's nothing left for me. You think about helping your kids with their college or maybe paying for your daughter's wedding and that thought makes you sick. You think, I, I have nothing. And you look into your retirement and you've done the math and you realize, you know what, I will probably be fine as long as I don't live two weeks past the date of my retirement. <laughs> and you see no hope. There's no hope for you. But I want to tell you this morning, there is hope. 
There's real hope. The bottom line of this sermon, though, is that we have to trust God. We simply have to trust that God's instruction on handling money, although countercultural and at times even counterintuitive, is the only way to live the kind of lives that we want to live and the kind of lives that God wants to give us. Furthermore, when seeking to get out of debt, we have to trust that God is able to provide for us in surprising and unexpected ways. Because getting out of debt is painful. And you have to be committed to it. Part of that sacrifice in order to get out of debt means that we still give first and foremost to God what belongs to him. We honor him with our resources. And that may just seem crazy. That may seem impossible. But let me start with an example of how I have seen the Lord provide for people who have need. For a few years now, two generous couples in our church have given me money to pass along to people in our church anonymously. And it's been my privilege basically to act like Santa Claus and to surprise them with significant gifts. Now, if you're offended that I just mentioned Santa Claus in church, let me assure you I, I am not endorsing him, his business model, the treatment of his elves, <laughs> nothing like that. And if you are offended uh, that I mentioned Santa Claus, feel free to write me, Ed Stetzer, here at the Moody Church. <laughs> I've been waiting months, months to do that. But seriously, on more than one occasion, I have given this gift to someone, and they have cried tears of gratitude when they received it. It was completely unexpected. They don't even know the people that gave it. In fact, one person was so shocked, they actually came back to me later and wanted to make sure that it was ethical. As if this money was coming from the mafia and at some point we might, we might ask him to take somebody out. All they knew is that their Heavenly Father had provided for them in an unexpected, in a very powerful way. I long for that kind of generosity in our church. And I long for that kind of confidence in God that will breed that generosity. I long for the day that some of you come to me and say, here's some money. I want you to give it to people in our church that have need. And I say, I don't know anybody who has any needs. We have been a generous congregation. We trust God with what he has given us. And so that spills over in the meeting of needs of other people. That's how I've seen God do it. And I could go on and on and on. God has no trouble meeting the needs of his people when we trust him. My friends, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that you can trust him. You know that he is trustworthy. And so trust him. Trust him. Our text this morning is 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. And Paul writes this. He says, Now there is, a, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, I can still remember getting my first credit card. I was a college student working as a bank teller in Southern California. And on the basis of my trustworthy character and my obvious ability to handle money, 
They gave me a credit card with a maximum limit of $300. I mean, I didn't even know it was legal to have a credit limit so low. I was so disappointed. I had great plans for me in that credit card. And nevertheless, I quickly maxed it out and proceeded to make the minimum payment for the next several months. Credit card debt came quickly for me. And if I were to be honest with you, it wasn't long before it felt soft and natural, like a $300 cashmere sweater that I was able to purchase with my MasterCard. <laughs> for many of you, your debt problems feel normal. Maybe it's all you've ever known. Maybe it's all your family of origin ever knew. You've been in bondage so long, it just feels normal. And the people around you are experiencing the same thing, and so you don't know any different. Some of you are not in financial freedom. You are in bondage. Here are some indicators of how that may be true. If you're not experiencing financial freedom, first of all, you're living paycheck to paycheck. There's very little or no margin. Secondly, you're only paying the minimum balances on your obligations. You're not able to pay them down quickly. Third, you are moving balances rather than repaying balances. Some of you may be familiar with that credit card game. You get a, an offer in the mail for 0%, and so you transfer your balance over there. So you're transferring, but you're not paying off. But I think perhaps the number one indicator that you are not experiencing financial freedom is that you are not able to give generously to God's work. Why would I say that? Because if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is what he has put in your heart. That's what you want to do. And your inability to do it because of debt or other reasons is a burden for you. You are not free. You are not experiencing the financial freedom that God wants to give you. Using money well, as we'll see on the screen, will take three things. Using money well and getting out of debt requires three things. A content heart, a cautious spirit, and a correct view of money. First, we'll go with a content heart out of our passage. Verses 6 through 8. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. We talked last week that God owns everything. So everything that you have on you, everything that you have with you this morning, unless you stole it, is a gift from God. Everything. Your clothes, your jewelry, what's in your wallet, all gifts from God. But none of them can make you content. None of them. In fact, the foundation of contentment is realizing that you and I deserve nothing. So that everything is seen for what it really is, a gift. It's seen as a gift from God. And that's what James 1.17 says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So to get out of debt, some of us are going to have to be content with the clothes that we have now, perhaps for a while. We're going to have to be content with the food that our income can actually allow us to afford. But the key here, and I'll return to it again later, is that as Christians, we do not want to take something that our Heavenly Father is not giving us. Do not take what your Father is not giving you. 
Proverbs 15 and 16 says, 15, 16 says this, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Now think about that for a minute. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that it is better to have very little, to be disappointed in not being able to purchase things that you want, but the fear of the Lord, meaning you have a close relationship with the Lord, that is preferable. That is better than having treasure, but the trouble that comes with it. If you and I do not believe that, we will never be content. We will never be content. That is the clear testimony of God's word. If we do not believe that a little with a close relationship with the Lord is far better than treasure without a close relationship with him, we will never be content. You and I were created for something greater than stuff. We were created for a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so stuff will never satisfy. It cannot satisfy. And we must beware of making the gifts that God gives us a substitute for him. Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The goal of idolatry is to make you think less of Jesus to think less of your heavenly Father. It's meant to doubt the goodness of God in your life. That's what it wants to do. Our hearts will naturally drift towards apathy, towards God, and it will naturally drift to an attitude that you may be familiar with, an attitude that says, I deserve this. I may not be able to afford it, but I deserve it. That's idolatry. That's where our hearts move. But to say that is to deny the clear testimony of Scripture that we don't deserve God's gifts. We actually, apart from Christ, deserve God's wrath. But a content heart means putting God first and learning to be truly happy in him. John Piper said this. I think it's extremely helpful. He said, money can add nothing to your security, peace, or joy beyond what the Lord can bring you. If we lack peace or joy or security, it isn't because God is deficient in any way. It is because you and I are not looking to him as the source of our security and our peace and our joy. We want Jesus, but we also want these things. And we're finding that the combination of those will never satisfy us. Money is a competitor to God in your heart. It can prevent you from enjoying the goodness of the contentment of him. You cannot serve God and Satan. You cannot love God and the world. These things are obvious. But remember the contrast Jesus makes in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And though I've known, and many of you have known that passage for years, the contrast still strikes me. Of all of the contrasts that Jesus could have made, he makes the contrast of serving God or loving God and loving and serving money. And I think he did that because he understands it's the one we struggle with the most. 
And so we have to make a decision. Will we trust money? Will we love money? Will we pursue money? Or will we love and trust and pursue the Lord? You must decide between the two. But you must understand that money cannot provide contentment. Only God can. And so getting out of debt, handling our money well, it requires a content heart, a cautious spirit, and a correct view of money. Number two is a cautious spirit found in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I heard it said this week, the surest way to ruin your life is to love money. It's the best way. If you want to ruin your life, love money. Most of us just don't think that way. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But that's what God, God's word says. The desire to be rich is one of the surest ways to ruin your life. We cannot play with this. It is deceitful. It's a trap. It's something we must be mindful of. And the Bible calls us to be sober-minded so that we can avoid this deadly trap. 1 Peter 5.8 says that. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You and I are targets. We're targets. That fact and the sinful inclinations of our hearts means that we must stay watchful. Sin is waiting for us. The devil is waiting for us. And turning money or possessions into a God in our lives is not difficult to do. It may be one moment of unsoberedness away. Here are some of the ways that we can be flippant or uncautious or unsober-minded and get in debt or stay in debt. The first is presuming on the future. Proverbs 21, 27, 1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And yet that's what we're so often tempted to do. We assume that our jobs are secure, that we'll get a bonus or a raise, or that the stock we purchased will increase in value, but we simply don't know. Even the experts don't know. They can't predict the future with accuracy. That's why when you invest money, they have you sign all those papers. And in the very small print, it says, we're going to lose all of your money. <laughs> they don't know. Assuming that all these good things are hap gonna happen, and not expecting the unexpected expenses, that always happen is a dangerous and foolish way to live. Instead, trust God for the future and plan for today. The next thing is spending on wants before needs, otherwise known as instant gratification. Proverbs 21, 17 says this, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. And you're thinking, hey, good, I don't like either one of them that much. Well, that would have been, for us, we could, we could say, whoever loves the latest fashions, the latest technological gadgets, who loves dining out, will never be rich. Continue to spend your money on those things. Spending on wants before needs, you will never be rich. You will never be financially free. Many of the things that you and I feel like we need are really just wants. And they're things that we could easily do without 
if we were to pursue those things that are eternally significant, eternal riches. Dave Ramsey, a very well-known financial consultant, he said that uh, he remembers going into the mall after he had established himself financially, paid off great amount of debt, had developed a savings plan. He walked into the mall and he said, I realize I could buy anything in here I want. And then he thought, I don't want any of it. He'd come to a point where he realized those things would not make him happy. But the deeper problem, I think, is that we're not satisfied enough in our Heavenly Father. That we're looking for joy. We're looking for peace. We're looking for the the jolt of a new thing, a new purchase. I mean, that's why Amazon boxes have that smile on them. Who isn't excited about getting a package? I am. Then you open it up and you find out it's a cabin air filter for your minivan. (laughs) It always disappoints. Sometimes we use the resources that God gives us for our needs to purchase things that we simply want. And the irony, the tragic irony, is those things then compete with our desire for God. They distract us from the Lord. Instead, instead of that, be sober-minded and assess your needs with God's help and look towards the long-term heavenly investments that God is leading you to. Next is poor planning. Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Flying by the seat of our pants means that we're trusting our instincts more than relying on the wisdom that God has given to us to plan for the future. We trust feelings over facts, and we see ourselves as more skilled than we really are. But instead of that, instead of that, prayerfully plan. That shows that we trust God with the outcome, and we seek to be wise stewards of all that he has given to us. Prayerfully plan. Next is living beyond your means. Living beyond your means, something our culture is exceedingly familiar with. Ecclesiastes 5.11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Isn't that true? Possessions cannot satisfy. Even if you do have more than enough, the number of people that will come by and enjoy them in front of you will, uh, will expand accordingly. Material things simply cannot satisfy us. As I said before, we were made for something far greater than stuff. As C.S. Lewis said, our our appetites, our desires are far too small. God isn't saying, hey, hey, you want too much. He's saying to us, you're satisfied with too little. What I want to give you is far greater. Living beyond our means is like telling God, what you have given me isn't enough. It's just not enough. I want more things. I want better things. And going into debt allows us to have those things now. It allows us to have them right now. And it's deceitful because low interest rates and small payments over many years deceive us into thinking, I can afford this even when I don't have the money. Instead, look soberly at your life and based on what God has given you 
in this season of your life to steward, determine to stay within the boundaries that God has sovereignly given you in this season of your life. Do not take what he is not giving you. It is not the path to joy that you think it is. It is the lie of the evil one. And then E, never having enough. Never having enough. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 8 says this. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Never having enough, it means that there's no end to our greed or our excess. It is worldliness at its core. It's saying if I only had more, then I would be happy. It is a denial of who Jesus is and the promises that he's made. It is an especially dangerous lie for God's people because it pulls you away from your heavenly father. You no longer sense your dependence upon him. You no longer need him. You can provide for those things on your own, sort of, and we grow content with that. Instead, you and I need to affirm that Jesus is enough. Amen. In fact, he's more than enough. Amen. Jesus is enough. And everything that God gives you, you might say is icing on the cake. But I like icing a lot. So I'm going to change that. And I'm going to say that your Heavenly Father is the cake. And he's the icing on the cake. And all these little things that you and I can buy, they're those little sprinkles you can barely even taste. They look kind of cute on the cake, but you wouldn't miss them if they were gone. Your Heavenly Father, who loves you, who has provided for you, who has given you more promises than you can remember, who is with you and will never leave you nor forsake you. He is everything you need. You need him more than a new car. You need him more than a working dishwasher. You need him more than new clothes. And if you have him, you don't need any of those things. You need none of them. And if you and I don't grasp that, we will not be content. We cannot be content because we're looking for contentment where it simply cannot be found. We're looking for contentment in things instead of in him. Getting out of debt requires a content heart, a cautious spirit, and a correct view of money. Third is a correct view of money. Verse 10 in our passage says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We are not to love money. I will not love money. Would you say that with me? I will not love money. By God's grace, may that be true. I will not love money. Money is a necessary part of life. Money is a gift from God. I've read that money is a tool given to us by God to purchase things of eternal value. And I love that definition. It's a tool given to us by God to purchase things of eternal value that allow us to store treasure in heaven. The question is, how many things of eternal value 
are you buying? What are you doing with the things that you buy? Are you honoring God with those things? Are you sending your money on ahead by investing in the kingdom of God? Money is also a test from the Lord, right? Will we trust it or will we trust him? How faithful will we be with what God has entrusted to us? And here's the truth about money that many of us struggle to believe. It's in God's word, so we know we have to believe it, but we struggle to believe it. First is Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. And Proverbs 11.28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Everything in the world seems to scream the opposite of the truth of those passages. I mean, I've, I've joked in the past that, that when people say money can't buy happiness, I say, well, you're just not shopping at the right stores. I mean, it's out there, but it's not. It's not. Listen to the quotes from a few wealthy men in the past. The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. W.H. Vanderbilt. John D. Rockefeller said this, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. John Jacob Astor, I am the most miserable man on earth. He had more money than perhaps all of us combined. So what do you do? What do you do? Debt is a serious thing. Debt is a fearful thing. People in our church that I've talked to before say, I hate debt. I hate what it did to me. I hate what it did to my relationship with the Lord. I hate what it did to my family. I hate it. And I think God calls us to hate debt. I'm not a financial expert. I want to stick with the, the biblical counsel here, but then I want to share some practical advice from, from, a, from an expert, from Dave Ramsey. So what do we do? First, we put God first. We put God first. Matthew 6, well-known verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things that you, that you need will be added to you. The, the food, the clothing, the housing. God takes care of his creation. He'll take care of you. Everything is about Jesus. It goes back to him. It goes back to God's ownership of everything. He promises to meet our needs when we put him first. An important part of putting God's, God first means that we honor him with the first of our income even when we're in debt. That is not only countercultural, that will probably strike many of you as counterintuitive. Do not wait until you are out of debt to be obedient to God. Obey him. Trust him. Honor him with what he has given to you. The best way to become debt-free is to understand that God owns everything God knows your situation, and he wants you to honor him with what he gives you. Randy Alcorn, who wrote The Treasure Principle that our small groups are, are going to go through, and I encourage you to sign up for one of those small groups if you're not already in a small group. Join one of our TMC communities who are going through this material as well if you're not a part of one. There's several at 1130 today. He says this, Debt reduction is important but not as important as giving to God's kingdom. Of course, debt, re debt reduction is important, but it is not as important as giving to God's kingdom. This takes faith. 
How can I do that? How can I really trust that God will provide when I don't even have enough money to pay my expenses? Right before we were married, Carmé incurred several thousand dollars of medical expenses. Her father had died years earlier. She was working a job that didn't pay a lot and had minimal health benefits. Her medical expenses totaled about two-thirds of our annual income. When I looked at that, I thought, we are going to be paying this debt off for years and years. And God provided in a miraculous way. And we were able to pay it off much, much quicker. And talking with the doctors, talking with the surgeon and the hospitals, the Lord worked and they reduced our expenses more than half. Several thousands of dollars were basically gifted to us. It was a wonderful thing. And I, I mentioned this for two reasons this morning. One is I want to remind you that just because you have run out of ideas, out of money, and out of rich friends doesn't mean that God has. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We can trust him. He has everything that we need. The second reason why I bring this up is I wanted to remind Carme that she hit the jackpot when she married me. <laughs> You're welcome, babe. So if you are in debt and you feel hopeless, I want to give you hope this morning. I want you to know that there is hope. But I don't want that hope just to come from me. I want it to come from your church family. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have found yourself in a situation that was hopeless, it may have been a financial situation, it could have been a, a, a medical health-related issue, could have been the the salvation of a loved one that you've been praying for for a long time and they were completely resistant to the gospel. And you were in a position where you had no hope. And then God showed up. And God showed up and everything changed. If you have seen God do that in your life, on the count of three, I want you to, sh to shout out hallelujah. One, two, three. Hallelujah. 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 He can do it. Because he's done it throughout human history and he's not done doing it now. You have run out of ideas. You have run out of friends. You have run out of money. He has not. And he knew you were going to be in this situation and he knows how to get you out of it. But it's got to be his way. It can't be partly his way and partly your wisdom. Which is why even when we're in debt, we honor God with what he's given us. The Old Testament standard of, of 10%, we don't teach a tithe here at Moody Church. We believe the New Testament responsibility for God's people is actually greater than that. But we don't give out of obligation. We give out of joy and we give out of confidence in God. Amen. That the one who said, I will provide for you, will in fact provide for us. It's a matter of, of taking him at his word. Will we trust him? We have to. The only way to receive the abundant life that God promised us is by putting him first. Next is we need to analyze our situation. Proverbs 27, 23 says something that most of us can't relate to right away. Know the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. It simply means know what's coming in and what's going out. Understand the resources that God has entrusted to you. It's pretty simple. The next one is stop borrowing. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor. The borrower is the slave of the lender. When I watched 
Pastor Ed's message on this, he yelled, stop borrowing. I watched a, uh, a, a talk that Dave Ramsey gave, and he screamed and ran up and down the, the stage when he did it. I, I'm not going to do that. I got my steps in for the day already. <laughs> I'm not much of a yeller. But I'm going to tell you that they yelled, stop borrowing. That's not God's plan for you. Burn your credit cards if you need to. And if you don't have the matches to burn them, don't borrow them. <laughs> Just use scissors. Cut them up. Dave Ramsey recommends that you get your kids to join you in cutting them up. One, it's a good model for them. But secondly, it helps them understand why you can't buy them anything anymore. So here are some questions to ask before buying something. Is God giving me this or am I taking it? Would God be honored if I learned patience and saved up for it? Or would it honor God more if I prayed for it and trusted him to provide it if I truly need it? If I truly need it now, I'm going to trust him for it. Next is make a payback plan. Make a payback plan. Psalm 37 to 21 says this, it's the wicked who borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. You can look up Dave Ramsey's talk. It's called Dumping Debt on YouTube. And he says you need to run out of debt. Run like a gazelle that is being chased by a cheetah. Run. Run, 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 run. You have to hate debt. You've got to so desperately want to get out of debt because it's difficult to get out of debt. It is not an easy thing. And he recommends four things. Save your money for emergencies. Pray. You're in debt. God loves you. He's rich. Good things happen when we pray. Trust him. And then he says, sell something. Sell everything if you have to. Sell so many things your kids think they're next. That's what he said. Good, that's a joke. <laughs> that can help you get out of debt. And then obviously, take an extra job. Take a part-time job. Work extra hours. Do what you can. That's the, that's the testimony of Ed and Donna Stetzer. Sold a car, sold whatever they could, and they got out of a significant amount of debt. And then finally, seek Christ. Seek Christ. Matthew 6 Verses 25 and 33 through 34 say this. Do not be anxious about your life, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Ultimately, my friends, debt is a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual problem that manifests itself with physical problems. The solution is Jesus. The solution is always Jesus. And the sober-minded lasting joy and freedom that he brings is so much greater than the simple-minded, fleeting, dangerous, and consequence-filled succumbing to our immediate wants. At yesterday's funeral for longtime Moody Church member Bob Erickson, it was mentioned that in looking through his belongings after he passed away, they gathered up the Bibles that he had owned over the years. And in every one of the Bibles, he'd written an acrostic. It said faith. It meant this. 
Forsaking all, I take him. Forsaking all, stuff, things, I take him. Because he's offering himself to us. That is what our Heavenly Father is calling us to do. Take him. When we do, we can not only get out of debt and avoid it in the future, we can truly experience the abundant life that God wants to give us, that he so greatly desires for us to have. Forsaking all, I take him. In a moment, our prayer partners are going to come to the front. They would love to pray for you. If you're experiencing great financial trouble, know that our fellowship fund is available for emergency needs. And you can bring those to Pastor Larry. We want to help you. Join one of the TMC communities. Get involved in a small group. Financial Peace University is coming up next month. Get serious about this. Not just because you want to get rid of the problem, but the freedom that God wants to give you, the joy that God wants to give you, is, is inexpressible. It's beyond what you can imagine. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are a great and generous and loving and patient Heavenly Father. And I, I know that you grieve when you see how we handle the resources that you've given to us, the debt that we are in. And yet in your mercy that we sang about, we are reminded that you're still a God of grace, that there's hope for everyone here, everyone who is worshiping with us online, who says today, I will take Jesus. Forsaking all, I take him. May we do that with your help and for your glory. And may that transform our church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.